Press play. Curtain of an hour in. It's time to take spin. The shade and tea to spill. Ooh, drama. Oh, that's a tweet. Did they book? Who got on the option? No, oh, I'm not well. What, what star will we talk to today? today? Oh, that's a gag, honey. Say no more. Drama. 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 Welcome to Drama, a podcast that covers theater, pop culture, love, and life in, in New, New York, York City. City. I am Connor McDowell. And I am Dylan McDowell. And you know, we're talking about drama. This all-encompassing thing. It's entertainment on stage. It's entertainment off stage. It's going to Trader Joe's during peak hours. It's missing the A train right when you arrive at the station. It's the TV series Elite on Netflix, which I'm obsessed with. Anyway, speaking of drama, okay, there's some casting news that I wanted to talk to you about. Okay, is it theater uh, related? No, no, this is this is film related, and it was announced recently that the actress Zoe Kravitz is going to be playing Catwoman in this new yes. DC Batman film, which mm-hmm. is also starring Robert Pattinson. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I do I enjoy superhero films. I usually go to see all of them. Um, whether or not they're good or not, whether I'm that interested in it, I will probably eventually end up watching it, as you know. Um, but I don't know if I, I care. I care about Zoe Kravitz. I think she's cool. I think she's interesting. I mean, we don't talk about Big Little Lies season two. No, we don't. But I think she's good. I think she's good, and I'm excited about her. I mean, the female characters in these superhero, you know, or I guess villain films that are happening now um, yeah. have always been more interesting to me. I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman. Come on. I mean, or maybe Miss Halle Berry as Catwoman. <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know if we talk about that either. But, oh, I mean, Anne Hathaway, Catwoman. I, you know, I think like our favorite was always growing up, Uma Thurman as Poison Ivy in Batman and Robin. Formative, formative I mean, moment. I've said before, that was probably my introduction to drag was Uma mm-hmm. Thurman in these wigs. And from one scene to the next, she would have a different wig and these amazing costumes and the, the voice inflection that she would do. As I told Lady Freeze when I pulled her plug, this, this is a one-woman one show. <laughs> yes. Iconic. So good. I mean, we always loved that movie, even though it's like widely thought of as to be the worst Batman film, but I think that's what's fun about it for us is how campy it is. And we didn't know better. You know, we were talking with our guest earlier about the metric of how we determine if something is art or not or good or bad or anything along those lines in the broad sense. And, and when you don't, you know, when you're young and no one is telling you what to believe or what to think about something, you know, it's just fun. And we had every single action figure from that. Oh, completely fun. And then you have Alicia Silverstone in there, like completely doing Cher Horowitz as Batgirl. That's what we wanted at the time. I know. I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And, you know, this is a fun fact. George Clooney later said, which look, look this up, that he thought of his Bruce Wayne as gay in that movie. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you watch it and there's this. I haven't rewatched female. it in years though. I actually watched it this summer randomly. Did that uh, track? In a way, th- he's got this girlfriend character that he's refusing to settle down with, and he's very mysterious, and it's kind of a chaste romance. So I don't know if you want to go back and watch it. I think it's, he's it's just playing with us. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. Maybe, maybe not. Bruce Wayne could be gay. I want a gay superhero. Definitely. Um, I haven't seen the Joker yet, but maybe there's some queerness in that movie. I know. I hope so. There's okay. Our guest is we're getting a head shake in in the negative, but I feel like I need to see the Joker because it's getting awards buzz, and I'm you know can't I can't help myself, and I'll probably have to go see it, even though I don't know that I really want to spend the money, but I'll end up going. I liked the trailer. I did too. I also liked the Saturday Night Live spoof of it. Yeah, um, which was really fun. Which was like a Sesame Street. Yeah, that was great. But anyway, I'm excited about Zoe Kravitz. I think she'll be fun. You know, it'll be interesting. She's dynamic. And I think that's what's interesting about her is, wait, and you know what? I remember reading something that she had auditioned for an earlier Batman movie. Oh. And they said she was too urban or too gritty or something like that. Oh, really? And now, I mean, I don't know if she was auditioning for Selena Kyle, but. Yeah. Interesting. I know. Well, when when will enough be enough with these superhero films? I don't know. People always want to buy. Because I'll still go see all of them. But we've had like four Batmans in the last like 20 years. Yeah. Something for everyone. You know, people might have hated Ben Affleck, but other kids might have been like, oh, he's the best. So yeah, I guess that's true. Someone is everyone's favorite. You know who else is someone's favorite? Our guest today. Yeah. Our guest today. Oh, my God. Dylan, bring him in. Our guest today can best be described by the word 
artist. Although he contains multitudes for days, he rose to fame in the brilliant, epic mammoth of a musical, Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, and more recently mystified audiences with his performance as the Caterpillar in Alice by Heart, along with being ever-present within his witty and provocative social media presence. A Lortel-nominated actor, writer, composer, director, musician, and so much more. Please welcome to drama, Heath Saunders. Welcome. Oh my God, that was dramatic. <laughs> Good. We're not lying about it being drama. <laughs> That's what we go for. <laughs> you knew what you were getting yourself into. Did I? No. <laughs> did I know what I was getting myself into? I don't think so. I think we did. Uh, we did cover the fact that this was fairly like, hey, what are you doing right now? And I was like, chilling. <laughs> <laughs> the regrets. See what I did there? Ooh. Mic drop. Okay. For, the, for the Alice by Heart fans out there, which we are honestly aren't those are the only people who are going to be interested in me talking. <laughs> right I don't know. Like, you got your your Russians out there, right? Right, right, right. right. Not like would we call the them hacker Russians? ones? <laughs> 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 you know, we went to see Alice by Heart twice. Cool. We loved it so much the first time. I had to bring my boyfriend back. Fair. And he is obsessed with you. That makes sense. And listens to. Isn't it a trial? Mm. Every day he needs a pump up song. <laughs> uh huh. Sometimes I'll pick up the phone and I'll hear it in the background. <laughs> you slay. Isn't it a try? That one specific. That one specifically. Interesting. I'm hey, more of a chill on the regret. One day on the subway, sometimes like people will know who you are on the subway and they'll mm. like you like know you like clock that sure. they know and you're like oh this is awkward. Unrelated, like three different people across the subway were like having one of those eye conversations with strangers where they're like, Is that who we think it is? Which was like hilarious because I was watching the whole thing happen. <laughs> um, and one of them, one person came over and was like, I just love your work. Thank you so much. And then left the train. I was like, Okay, cool. <laughs> very fun. And I'm not saying that like I'm not, I'm, I, this is, sounds like I'm being cynical about it. I really was like, Oh, that's very nice of you. Thank you. Another one of them came up to me and was like, Showed me her iPhone. And she was listening to Chill in the Regrets. And she's like, I'm listening. I think, I'm so sorry. I think I'm listening to you right now. And I was like, you set that up. You did. Up. You did. Like, come on. I'm, again, charming, but Very. like, cool. Yeah. And then the third person was like, came up after, again, they like did that and then left the train. And then like the third person came up and then like talked to me for like seven minutes about my entire career. Oh, like wow. went through, and she was like, it, and it seemed very much like she was like, those people don't actually know you, but I know everything that you've done. Diva. And I was like, okay. Anyway, but it was funny because it was just like, I don't think of myself as being like, an interesting or unique person to talk to and then some people people just like see me and be like oh look that's that guy who was the caterpillar in Alice by Heart and I'm like that is weird thank you <laughs> I did do that you did you did that <laughs> that that's what I did it it's weird it's weird to think about and How? then I like listen when I listened to the album I was like that's me I'm on that album. what do you think of the album it's great yeah huge I mean I'm a huge Junkin' Cheek fan mm. in general like his music is just like so him and I just love it. So it's, so it's really delightful to like sing on it. And I had this like weird experience where I was like, oh, this is going to be like one of those things when I listened to Spring Awakening when I was a kid. And then like, I know these voices because they were on this thing. And then people will know me for that same reason, which is just a weird thing to think about. Wow, that is wild. Life is wild. That's very special. I know. I listen to Spring Awakening and I'm taken back to a very specific time. Very specific. Very dark. Truly dark. <laughs> oh my God. I was unwell during that period of time. Yeah, it's impossible not to be. <laughs> Speaking of Heath, mm. are you well? <laughs> Am I well? Um, yeah. No, it's good. We're coming into my favorite season, but also the season change. So mm. it's like the two things together are like, I'm fine. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. That's okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's like, yeah. It's it's nice to know that you're not just like putting forth like this. I'm great. Everything's good. Life is happy. Oh, absolutely not. How could I? Uh, <laughs> acting is about being authentic. Um, <laughs> yes. I am actually very happy. I saw I'm two for two for shows that I've paid for in the last week, which is very exciting for me. Wow. Um, in the sense that they are shows that I bought a ticket for and left the show being like that was worth having bought a ticket mm. for. Oh, my God. And yes. Am I supposed to like plug things randomly? Because I'm just going to plug things. Yeah, randomly. please do like, um, Slave play on Broadway is mm -hmm. absolutely worth seeing. Um, and Heroes of the Fourth Turning at Playwrights Horizons is also absolutely worth seeing. Wait, Dylan was just telling me yeah. that he wants to go see this. It's wild. Yeah? 2014. 2014. Um, <laughs> so, so Heroes is 
a little bit it's like a conservative story right would you um yes sure okay yeah i mean that's what it is it's four friends who went to a conservative catholic school but it's i mean i could spend the entire 45 minutes talking about that show specifically (laughs) i could do this about slave play too both of them i think are so i don't want to say important because i'm uh, because what's important is a relative cultural conversation Mm -hmm. sure i'm not an arbiter of but in both cases it felt like the show did not end when it ended i i felt like it was the beginning of a much bigger conversation and that for me is like what the most successful theater always is it's like oh Mm -hmm. I didn't actually come here for an isolated experience. I came here for a point in a conversation that's been happening and they both feel very much of the conversation. They know what they're saying and they know what they're not saying and they know what questions they're asking and I find that very inspiring or compelling or yeah, all I think of those I think it's all so. those things. I know I had a coworker tell me yesterday that a, a group of my coworkers actually went to see Slave play and she's not really a theater person, doesn't go to see anything really at all. And what they tried to do, or what she was saying to me was, people were walking, she she was noticing people were leaving mm-hmm. during the whole show. And then afterwards, the whole group of them that went, they were kind of just standing outside the theater talking about what they thought of it, what they were thinking. Mm-hmm. You know, they were like, oh, I don't really like plays, but I was thinking about this. And then she said she took her hour-long train ride back to Brooklyn with her boyfriend. And they just, they were, they were quiet for a few minutes. And her boyfriend's kind of like, oh, I don't like theater kind of dude. And then all of a sudden was bringing up these questions of identity. Mm. And, you know. Well, I would like to point out, I, you, you know, I, I, I warned you that I would dismantle any use of the word identity. And I'm actually not going to at this moment. But I, <laughs> <laughs> That's it, coming later. It will come. Well, it, 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 it's, it's related. It's tangential. I, I would say that. We, one of the things we have to recognize when people say things like I don't like plays or I don't like musicals usually they're lying um, <laughs> and when I say I, I, that they're lying it's that what they think a play is or a musical is is usually not what plays and or musicals are it's usually they had a specific experience with either people who do them or they saw one very bad one when they were a child and then I was like, I was uninterested in this and therefore it's not interesting. Mm-hmm. So in, in all those cases, it's, it's funny because a lot of people creating theater think about creating theater for theater people. And on one hand, I think that's a like worthwhile thing to do because theater people all feel like outsiders. But on the other hand, you people who you can go see a play and it will be whatever that thing is. And I think that part of the reason that I find a slave play, I use those two examples is because they're both pieces of theater that feel very much aware and responsible for what they're doing. And I think that when theater is at its worst, it's actually when theater is trying to be the theater that you expect theater to be. And that happens a lot with sort of without, again, I, I constantly say I don't like to throw people artists under the bus but there are many examples of like highly commercialized versions of things that are like oh you're doing what you think a musical theater adaptation of this thing should be and that becomes this weird like bastardization of itself in a way that it's like oh this is the thing that people see and they think that theater is bad because they've seen a bunch of theater people saying to a bunch of other theater people this is what theater is and therefore, that it, I just uh, the whole th- anyway. The point is, people don't. <laughs> if you identify as a person who doesn't like theater, you're probably lying to yourself and others. So yeah, there you go. Congratulations. And I, <laughs> that speaks to me. That makes complete sense. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. And I think that is cool. That the like you said, the conversation around slave play doesn't just end when you're done at the theater. You know, it'll go on and on. I'm. I saw it last November, January, January, December. I don't remember. And I think about it all the time. Yeah, it's wild. It is. It's wild. It's. I don't want to spoil anything, but yeah, I definitely think things, it's worth the ticket. It. It's right, worth and that, that for me is like the best, my best review of anything is like, I mean, I literally after, both after Slave Play, after Slave Play, my reaction was to all of my friends who I talked to about theater, I was like, have you seen this was my first mm. question. Like, did you see this thing? And they'd be like, no, should I? And I'd be like, yes. Or no, uh, yes, I have. And I'd be like, can we talk about it? And that for me is like the that's the most positive review I can give a show. Yeah. If with Heroes of the Fourth Turning, which I saw in an er, sort of a, a relatively early preview, my big thing was like, I literally texted all my friends and I was like, go buy a ticket for this show mm. and go see it. Like it, 
it is worth you going to see, which I imagine what is what I would have reacted, how I would react to this live play off Broadway too, if I had seen it then, which is like, you just, you just need to go see it. They're like, well, is it good? And I'm like, that question, I will, I will have a conversation with you about sure. that after you see it. Cause I don't know if you're going to like it, mm. but I do think you should see it. And I think it's worth seeing. And that for me is the sort of that, that difference is key and important. Slave play was just extended two weeks into, into January. January. Yeah. So there's definitely an opportunity. I know we're going to have to see. So if I'm going to plug things, then I'm just going to yeah. plug them on this. I'm like, go, go see it now. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's great. We definitely, we have sort of had to take a little bit of a hiatus from seeing shows. We've been traveling a little bit this month, but mm. those are both at the top of our lists when we Great. 100% start seeing things. I do want to see The Wrong Man, too. Also saw that. Yes. At yes. your at your creative home, your recent creative home yes. of MCC. Yeah, also worth seeing. Can we go back into Alice by Heart for sure. a second here? How long were you involved uh, I, in Alice by Heart? I, I joined, I did a workshop of it up at Vassar, the powerhouse theater, yeah. uh, was which was this wonderful experience a summer ago. So before, basically the summer before we did it. Um, and I actually joke about it's going to, this is going to be, you're going to get my first apocryphal audition story because <laughs> there's this, there's a sort of funny thing that happened with Alice by my audition for Alice by heart, which is that I have truly never booked a job with less work and time, which is not to say that I didn't prepare for my audition, but it was literally like I had, they were like, go in for this show. You're going for the Caterpillar, blah, 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 blah. Great. I went in, I sang the song one time and then I left and then I essentially booked my off-Broadway <laughs> debut out of that. I mean, it was like, I, I did not get, there were no callbacks. It was just like, hey, have this role. And apparently I, I talked to Jesse, our director about it and she was like, yeah, we just, you're just so unique. Mm. And it's, it was just like, oh, that's, and they, they had apparently struggled with the role of the Caterpillar because it's a sort of cipher of a role where it's like you, everybody sort of knows what this caterpillar is. And I mean, if you think about Alice in Wonderland, it's one of the first characters that you like have an idea about what it is. Yeah. I, and again, I, I'm not, this is not me trying to be like, I'm amazing. It's mostly just like when I'm talking to like kids in, in college and they're like, I'm like, this is a really interesting story because essentially I had nothing to do with the fact that I booked it, except for the fact that it's just things about me. I, I like went into that thing and they're like, that's exactly the right person for this role right now. And that, that space that it's like all that I could do is just go in and sing a song. And then I booked this job, which became this sort of thing that I've now done. Um, but it wasn't like I like went in and then like had seven callbacks and, and it wasn't like there was no, it was just like I was either right for it or I was wrong for it. And like, that was the moment. Mm -hmm. And for me, it actually helped me a lot because it just was like, Oh yeah, there is so, as an actor, I just have so little control in the way people use my body to tell stories. Mm. And they just, I just happened to be the thing that was really interesting. And it's been both a blessing for me and a, a sort of curse because I'm really wrong for most things that I go in for. It's just, and it's not, that's not a like I'm bad again that's not I'm good or bad it's just like I'm just very specific if nothing else and being specific is great oh but yeah it's like also how you're supposed to do, deal with that so it's been really interesting that to is be alive. interesting okay also announced by heart one of my crushes was in it with you Colton Ryan that's fair yeah he's so cute he is also very talented. The whole cast was great. That the whole that whole experience, I, I can only I mean from an audience standpoint was just every time someone else opened their mouth, it was just amazing. It was kind of like seeing Spring Awakening, yeah, for the first time and being like, oh my goodness, there's all these talented people and they all are yeah, unique. That, that cast was stacked. I mean, literally, mm -hmm. it was just like <laughs> it was weird to like be just being around all those people, being like, wow, you, everyone's amazing. This is wild. It was crazy. And one of my favorite voices in that show is Kim. Blank. Oh, Kim Blank. Blank. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, she's great. And she's sung some of your original material, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which Go I want to get YouTube. into she's that as there. well, yeah, because yeah. I, I want to ask you a little bit about something that is called The Story of Three. Oh my God! Really? Can you? Can you? <laughs> that's what you want to go into? Can okay. you? Can you tell the listeners what that is and how that applies to your artist journey? Oh God! Uh, Drama. Artist. He's journey. speechless. Sure. He. My... The look on his face. Well, so Story of Three 
is a musical that I wrote between the ages of 16 and 19. And yeah, I don't know. What what else is there to it? I That's what it was. I did a, for my 30th birthday, I was like, I made all my very talented friends do a reading of it, which was hilarious oh, that's great. to me. Oh my God, that's um, so that's fun. That's what that is. So you're a songwriter, you're a, compo- you're a musical theater writer, composer. How would you, yeah. how would you say that? Yeah. Um, yeah, I am a composer and writer. Yeah, that uh, that is how I would say that. That's I, I'm a composer primarily. Okay. Mostly because I say composer primarily. I am not really anything primarily so yeah. much as I am. I do a lot of things. Composing is one of the things that I feel very qualified for. I'm a, a musician first. I all of my doorway into art was through music, so I feel most at home when I'm dealing with music. And you know, I I, I wrote a musical when I was in high school, which was weird. Impressive. Uh, Did the material hold up? <laughs> Um, in some ways, it's really interesting to watching it when we did that reading of it. It was like it was really surreal for me because it it is so clearly all the like the seeds of what who what and who I am now. Like it just is so. It, I just was like, yeah, that. So did it hold up? It it's a really interesting concept in the sense not concept. It's not actually an interesting concept. It's, <laughs> What I mean by interesting concept is that that the ideas on on display that I'm trying to sort of explore as a when I was exploring them in high school are actually really interesting because I think they're really applicable to now. I also when I I much I'm very conscious of the ways in which I as a young composer was essentially inadvertently pastiching other composers. So you, there's like songs in it where I'm like, wow, you just listened to a Jason Robert Brown song and <laughs> regurgitated it. And it's not that I think that's bad. It just was like, I, I, there's no, the, there's only the earliest vestiges of, of, of sort of a, a unique voice in it. It's like, <laughs> and, and, and that's okay. I just, yeah, it was funny. To, it's funny to look back on it anyway. Yes. So are you working in any new musicals or anything? Um, Yeah. I mean, constantly. There's uh, my sort of big work uh, is this show called uh, Newton's Cradle, which I wrote with my mom. My mom is my writing partner. She didn't write the musical that I wrote in high school with me. I did that. And then now we've been my mom and I have been working together for the last five years. Um, We wrote a show called Newton's Cradle, which was in the New York Musical Festival in 2016. we had a great time. And what a unique collaboration, mother and son. Yeah. yeah. Some people distance themselves from their mothers. Yeah. Well, I'm a, my mom and I have a, a, a sort of funny relationship. Like my, and actually that's true of anybody who's like close to me. I, I'm not really like a deeply intimate person. So like okay. I, I don't, sort of naturally live in a space of being like, like I, 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 it took, like I didn't hug people until I was, you know, 13 or 14. And even then it was like, my friends had to bribe me <laughs> if they like wanted to touch me. So like, so I like, it was like, relatively like, so the way that I, I find intimacy or that I find connection with people tends to be through talking about big ideas. So my mom and I, our relationship is sort of based in that. Like we, when we see something or when we, we go to like see theater or we're working together, a lot of it is just like, what does it mean to talk about these big ideas and so that that's how that collaboration was born is it was like well it's almost it's almost like that's like if some, you you know if you like call your mom every day i do it's it's a little bit it's like that but instead of like calling to like touch base on the things that one normally touched bases with their parents on my mom and i talk very often but it's often about these like very gigantic storytelling things that we're trying to do and that's sort of how we connect so it, it seemed like a natural to sort of step into the collaboration world was like a, rel- a relatively natural extension of that. How cool. You come from a very musical family, right? Yes. Annoyingly so. <laughs> <laughs> Deeply upsetting. No, it's fine. Because <laughs> really there's fun. a set of twins in your family. There's a set of twins in my family. My younger sisters are identical twins. Same. Um, you have two sets of twins in your family? Oh, yeah. no. Oh. Uh, were, they, were they identical twins? Right. The, <laughs> the twin sisters. Right. Yeah. So there's this, this whole line of the, the Von Saunders. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Von Saunders. <laughs> yes. Um, if you, there's, you can actually read. We have a collective website, yeah. the, the SaundersCollective.com. You can sort of see what we are actually like as a group a little bit and you can sort of see our projects that we're working on and that's like it actually acts as all of our personal websites or extensions of this um, collective that we have. That's amazing. It's wonderful. And you're close with all your siblings too. Yes. Yeah, yeah. My brother and I live together up till 
basically now, but wow, we're all it's we're very close. It's the whole thing. It's I important. Love that. We're close. Yeah, I know. Your siblings also had a shot at fame at one point. Oh my God, R- referring to what? When you all went and auditioned for was it America's Got Talent? Oh, interesting. Yes. Well, yeah, I don't know anything about this. Well, we talked about this because the re- reason that Heath and I know each other is I work at 54 Below, and he came in and he did this goofy video project with the one and only Natalie Walker over Flawless. a year ago. Yeah, wild. Flawless. And it was mentioned by Natalie, and you lost your mind that she referenced this deep cut family experience. Well, oh, God. Okay. What pieces of information are important to understand how this story goes? <laughs> I think the thing that Natalie was referring to, though, was so two of my siblings, so three out of the five of us, went to University of Miami for school, and we were there at the same time. And when we were there, the X Factor did auditions on our campus. And so the three of us who were there auditioned for X Factor as three-fifths, which was exactly as layered as it sounds. Which season of The X Factor was this? Season two? So this was Britney. And Demi. And Demi. (gasps) Uh I'm shaking. Okay, so, but, okay. (laughs) So we got through to Hollywood. Okay. So we were, we appeared on screen during season two of X Factor. And there's this amazing shot of my sister, like single tear crying (gasps) that they used. It's amazing. That's so peak American Idol. So we were, right. So we were on, three out of the five of us were on X Factor. All of us auditioned for America's Got Talent, which was a separate question. We loved the X Factor. Oh my God, this is so fun. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I appreciate you sharing. Three fifths, who came up with the name? Well, it was just three out of the five of us. And well and and we would we had this whole joke where if they asked us why we were called three fifths, we had three different answers for it, which were it's three of the five siblings. It's took us three-fifths of vodka to decide that we were going to go and do this. And then in the three-fifths compromise. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. <laughs> that we... But, oh, God, it was I'm a I'm sure they didn't air that. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Under no circumstances. I can't believe that they actually put us through to... When we auditioned with... Uh, everywhere because I had just done an arrangement of everywhere for a, a not allowed jukebox musical of of uh, Fleetwood Mac music. Oh. So I had done this trio arrangement of everywhere and we just sang that. But for our second song, we sang Nobody's Side from Chess. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and the, I'm convinced the only reason we got sent on is because all of the producers on it were all British people and they love Chess. Of course. They freaking of course. And we didn't think about that. No. We just, I just love Nobody's Side. Yeah, and I was like, let's sing Nobody's Side. And we, it was like, we did this insane arrangement where we were, oh God, it was so, it, <laughs> we, oh. we might, we might actually re- we're, we have a the we have a cabaret coming up at Fifty Four Below. Yes. We're doing a, our a Christmas-ish cabaret in December that will probably touch on this part of our lives, and so amazing. It's on like December twenty third or something yes, like I that. Yes, I believe yeah. so. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we have a little teaser right here. That's so funny. It was wild. That was a real thing that happened. Wow. So was that Trent and Alana? Trent, Alana, and me. Okay, were the three that. So there's so it's Blake. Heath, Trent, Alana, and Claire are the five of us. Okay. Um, which, when we were a five group, we were Batch because Blake, Alana, Trent, Claire, Heath. Batch. Oh, God, it was mess. <laughs> wow. Oh, it was like peak mid-2000s. Like, that's like, to me, that's like being a family group that like oh, using yeah. an acronym of our names. Of and, course. And like some of the music that I wrote for us was like, I want to vomit when I think about it. But I did do that. It's part of your story. And, you know, we can't erase that. Oh, and I never would want to. I just, it's just sort of... <laughs> It's one of those things where it's like I also like joke about constantly the fact that I like was not I'm being good at what I do is a thing that took me a long time to I was not good in high school like some people were like oh you watch people in high school and you're like oh my god you're gonna like do the Jimmy mm-hmm. Awards and you're like oh, you're yeah. amazing yeah. 
I was not that. I just like wasn't good. I wasn't bad, but like getting to when people like see me now, they're like, oh my God, you're, you do X, Y, and Z things well. I'm like worked at that. <laughs> it was not natural. Uh-huh. I do have a question though about Seattle because it's, it's known as like sort of a hub for out of town tryouts. Mm-hmm. What, did you see anything before it came to Broadway? Mm-hmm. Like hairspray mm-hmm. or anything like that? Or if we're going to like do deep cuts, yeah. interesting fact. I was in the out-of-town tryout of Scandalous. With Carolee Carmelo? Yeah. So I did the Bat show when it was called Saving Amy at the Fifth Avenue Theater. Oh, my God. (laughs) And it's funny is there's a photo that they used in Playbill that year that was for her. And they're, like, talking about the process Mm -hmm. of her being. And I'm in the photo. Like, you can see (laughs) young young Heath behind. (laughs) We'll have to share it. It's really wild. I mean, I I, I think I posted a picture of it recently hold on that's gonna... iconic so the show retitled itself when it moved yes was that the thing it was like about a televangelist yep well televangelist uh, it was uh, amy semple mcpherson is a person who you should know about she was fascinating um yes and that is all i'll say about that. okay he Carry is on. currently looking for the photo right i'm looking now. for a photo of me behind Carly <laughs> how old were you at the time 22 23 Amazing. And I was replaced by Broadway's Jesse Neger. So <gasps> wow, <laughs> oh, tragic. So was me. so you were like just out of college yeah. or okay. it was my first job, first um, professional job. Wow, that's amazing. It was wild. It, 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 I mean, it was really like oh wow, and it's like this thing that I was I did and I like forget that I did and then I I forget that my like my career has been relatively like weird and like crazy and specific and also very <laughs> exciting but also like yeah it's shocking to me and you've done a lot of jesus christ superstar i've done jesus christ superstar twice let's not get ourselves. <laughs> well um, you you did it live <laughs> yes i did jesus christ superstar live uh in which i was in the ensemble and understudied brandon victor dixon which oh. was fun um, mostly because uh there was a the, the process of like putting that on its feet was this wild experience where john legend's uh schedule was all over the place so i ended up being like basically i just played judas across from john legend for two weeks <laughs> which was amazing and also like what is happening in my life that's wild yeah it was crazy i um, loved that yeah live it was great it we had a great favorite and of the live musicals that have happened anyway so i played a prop opposite of john legend as judas for two weeks which was lots of fun and then i did jesus christ superstar again playing jesus at the chicago, chicago. okay that was the lyric opera, right? That was the lyric opera. In the video, because I think later that summer was when you did that duo show with, yep, with Natalie. Natalie. Yep. And your version of Gethsemane, not a dry eye in the house. Well, I appreciate that. It yeah, was, that's incredible. It's It was, it was interesting because I never thought that it was something that I could do. I don't think of, it's weird to say this, but I like don't think of my, I'm still looking for this. Photo. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> y'all, for really exciting home, to look. That I'm multitasking like this. I can't believe how good he is. He can do it all. (laughs) For those of you listening, this is actually this is how you know. (laughs) I think I might have missed it. I I feel like I thought that I, I remember tweeting at someone about it because somebody was talking about it, and I was like, and then I like tweeted this photo, and I'm like trying to think of how long ago that was, and now I'm back into the Jesus Christ Superstar, which is how I've been multitasking. Is that the pictures (laughs) that I'm looking at are now associated with Jesus Christ Superstar, which is anyway. So I did that. Life is great. What were we talking about? We were talking about how you played Jesus. Right. And, so, and did get so many. Yes. So, you know, you've talked a lot. We'll, we'll get to more about like your start with theater and mm. roles and identity and everything. But was Jesus a dream role? Like, would you say you ever had dream roles or? No, not really. And that's, I, I think I've passed when it would be. And now I just, I'm going to, we're going to find it later. <laughs> no. And I also, I don't think of my, this is a very strange statement. So I'm going to. We can edit like, it out. What, no, I'm just like trying to think of whether how, <laughs> how true it will, like whether this will feel obnoxious for me to say. I don't think of my, I don't think of myself as a singer, okay. which is like a weird thing. I can sing, but it's like- You have so, an unreal voice. Oh, I appreciate that. But I like don't, so when you say things, like I don't think of myself as being able to go and do Jesus Christ Superstar. The fact that I could was this like weird shock to me. I was like, oh, I guess I can do that. So like I never, I would never have thought to myself, oh yeah, you know what I'll be able to do is sing this role eight times a week. I just didn't, yeah, it just never really occurred to me that that was 
possible. Had you seen a production of it, like, in your youth, or? Yes, and, I mean, it's complicated, because Jesus Christ Superstar is absolutely one of my top five shows mm. of all time. Like, if I were to, like, be like, these are my shows, they would definitely be in my top five. But almost in, like, an observing it from afar kind of way. I was like, this is a thing that I really love. And, and like, the idea that I could do it was a just very strange to me. It just, like, isn't something that occurred to me as, as a possibility. And then, so then singing Gethsemane was this, like, every night at, at in in Chicago, it was like, you know, we had this 35 piece orchestra and this like gigantic ensemble in this 3000 seat house. And like, I was like, Oh, now I'm a rock star. This is very fun. Yes. <laughs> and you know, I was playing guitar during it. Like there's all these things about it that were like, what's happening in my life right now. <laughs> and that's sort of like how I came up. I just was like, Oh wow. That was weird. I love those moments when you, you show yourself that you can, you know, push it or you can do things that you didn't think you could do. And you're surprised by yourself and you're like growing and learning. I think that's what makes, performance or even just life exciting you know like yeah just moving on to the next step just never never settling yeah i mean yeah it was it, it just was like a funny thing so like doing it now it's like oh people are like oh yeah that should be well and then of course i have the long hair and like the vague ethnicity and people are like oh yes you look like jesus <laughs> and i'm like mm. uh, <laughs> so there, there, there's a lot of like intersections in my life that sort of came together at that moment which was just really interesting. It was just like, a, oh, this is a fun moment in my life. Because um, you were also getting to do, you were being a musician, you were right. performing, you were acting and singing, even though you said you're not a singer, well, all at the I, same I get, time. Right. It was just like all these things that I do and then like doing them all. And so it was this like really interesting moment. And then, of course, I was also given an opportunity to talk to people about theology, which was also an interest of mine. So I was like, <laughs> this is everything that I want to do simultaneously, except for writing. I wasn't really writing at the time. But well, you were tweeting, I'm sure. Constant tweeting. <laughs> Always <laughs> tweeting. It's, it's I'm talking about like you because you also played guitar on stage in Great Comet. Right? Mm -hmm. What was that experience like? Because you were in an iteration of it before it came to Broadway. Uh huh. Uh, also weird because I do not think of myself as a guitarist. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> and you played it on stage in multiple productions yeah it's like now like people are like oh he plays guitar bring him on and i was like nah. I'm, a, I'm a pianist the, the piano is my first instrument i play many instruments the piano is sort of my, my and primary. oboe and i need oboe. to just i'm an oboist oh a former oboist i, I was like a very serious oboist all I, mean, I, almost, school. I almost did it in college that was well i the, i i yeah I was like an all-Northwest orchestra. Wow. Like, oh, yes. wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I was like an oboist. That double, double, reed. double reads. Well, and, and then you have to like make your own reads, and that's when I was like, fuck. I didn't get that far. I was like, no. I actually, I really quick sidebar, I had a, my first teacher would make me bring reads that I had bought at the store, mm -hmm. and she would then practice her own reed cutting and work oh, on it and so every week i would say to my mom we need to go back to the music store stephanie needs me to bring more reads and she'd be like dylan i've spent a hundred dollars because they, were, they weren't cheap. yeah no that's wild. and now i'm realizing that stephanie was taking who eloped advantage. to nebraska midway through our lessons not at you know what i mean um she took total advantage of me and i hope that you're, wherever you are out there whoa she's a scammer that is a scam that, yeah. that, i mean that is literally a scam it's like wild for me to think about that because i think about like somebody just getting their students to bring them re that's wild where is the true crime doc about no, this <laughs> so okay so going back to great comment you were kind of talking about how it's an in it was an interesting intersection of your yep. different passions when when did this come into your life so immediately i had this moment when i was like gonna give up theater performing completely because i was like i hate this um Whoa. Yeah, it, I don't hate performing. I hate the the life that is required for performances to, to, for performers to sustain in order to make a career out of performing at, you know, peak 2015 was like I hate this. I hate every second of it. Um I like performing. I just don't like everything else. And I was like, okay, that's fine. And then along comes this little audition for this crazy show called Natasha Pierre and the Great Come Out of 1812. And it was like, it was weird because it was like a week. It was like, I was like never doing it again. And then this audition came along and I was like, this sounds crazy. Whoa. And then I was like, booked that job immediately after that. And I was like, oh, well, this part isn't so bad. Largely because that cast and that creative team, everything about that process was this like weird artistic bubble of delight. Um, and that was two years of my life. So it began, and and that, and it totally changed how I like look at myself as a performer and an, and an artist and a creator. And it put me into this position where I was like, oh, now I'm fine. So now I'm like happy to do things in a much more relaxed way. Because I don't, again, it helped me remove 
being an actor or being a performer from being like an intrinsic part of my identity that in fact it is in fact something that I do not something not who I am and that shift in perspective allows me to do it with much more grace and openness and compassion than I could before when I was super concerned about my own identity mm-hmm. which as an extension is part of what I was talking about before which is why I'm like I think that that's it's that journey that I went on with this sort of specific identity this of, of creator or of artist or actor is a the same identity that I associate with my relationship to my gender and my relationship to my sexuality and my relationship to my race. It's all about these are things that I actually do. They are not who I am. They're words that I give people to help us ease my interaction there. But who I am is something that's a weird conglomeration slash Venn diagram slash all of these things coming together to make a self, mm. which are is not defined by any of those specific things. That was like way intense for an answer about what was it like to be in comment. No, no, no I love that. I love that. You know, people people insist on labeling everything. I think it's oh, yeah. it just it's well, we insist on labeling ourselves. That for True. me is the bigger problem. Like for for me, yeah, we insist on labeling each other, but the way that we take labels on for ourselves is the thing that I'm most interested in dismantling. Hmm. It's like the way that we see ourselves. You know, I say I say this a, a lot, but like, identity is actually a two-way street. Like, you you your identity isn't just what you decide you are. Identity is also how you're perceived, and that's how privilege manifests. Right. Mm-hmm. The thing about privilege is that it actually doesn't matter how you see yourself. It only matters how other people see you. So somebody who like I'm a light-skinned person of color. Um, so I have all these advantages that come with being light-skinned, would come with being interpreted as male, would come with being tall, which come with being all of these things that have nothing to do with how I feel. And I don't have to identify as those things to, to take advantage of those privileges that I'm afforded for being those things. And I, I think it's really important to be able to talk about both of those things simultaneously and separate when we're talking about these are the advantages that I'm given because of the way that I'm perceived mm-hmm. versus these are the ways that I feel and the dysphoria that comes from me feeling some way that I'm not being interpreted is really difficult and I acknowledge that but that dysphoria is not the primary conversation we should be talking about when it comes to conversations about identity mm-hmm. yeah we should <laughs> I, I think that we should be affording people the space to define themselves however they want as long as we continue to talk about the way that that definition that self-definition intersects with society's definitions of self so because you can't, I cannot walk around saying that my experience with, for example, my own queerness mm-hmm. is my defining characteristic if people don't see that or people don't interpret that as part of who I am. And that that conundrum is why I'm like, white gay men can be obnoxious hum- pe- people because they're not acknowledging the fact that their own experience of identity is something that they are, it, it's actually more about them than it is about other people. Mm-hmm. And that's not bad in the sense that everybody s- struggles with identity in many different ways. Sure. But we're unable, because we're so focused on the ways in which they're, these, that, they're like my rights, quote unquote, and I don't say that to be like, I would want to dismantle people's understanding of rights. People's rights are in danger. We live in a dangerous time. I'm not saying anything here to take away from that experience. Right. But when you come into a conversation and you say this is my experience and my experience matters more than the societal conversation while bringing that conversation into that sort of like let's talk about the macro when you can't acknowledge the ways that intersection plays out and and, and i'm at a unique space of privilege in this regard because i i you know my my identity lives at the intersection of all of these different things about myself and so I can like easily shift and sort of code switch which identity is the most important or the most hmm. disenfranchised within a conversation. So like when the three of us are talking, I can be like, well, I'm the person of color in the room. Or if I'm talking with uh, a bunch of straight people, I can be like, well, I'm the queer one. Or if mm-hmm. I'm talking with a bunch of uh, black people, I am the person who is light skinned. Like I can do these things where I can like re-angle myself as the one who has a unique experience. Mm-hmm. And society would ask that I continue to do that without acknowledging the ways in which doing that takes advantage is actually utilizing my privilege, which is that Mm -hmm. I can be chameleonic in these ways. And 
again, I am not saying that to be like my life is easy or my life is hard. It really has nothing to do with my life in relation to anyone else's life. I am just describing my experience of life, right. which is essentially what identity is. Amen. Mike drops. <laughs> he. I feel like we could do a whole extra episode. Just yeah, this, you like, are, this is like the you're a philosopher constantly. That's that's incredible. I think your self awareness is. I'm learning myself. Oh, thank right God. Now. Yes. yes. <laughs> Wouldn't it be awkward if you weren't? I was like, I was like <laughs> yeah, cool. Anyway, I've learned everything, so no. I, there's nothing else for me to learn. This is it. <laughs> I think your experience is so valuable, and I'm so I'm so grateful that you are sharing it with us. Mm-hmm. And we're kind of like running short on time I know, here. I was like, Whoa, I can talk about. It anything for hours i know oh my gosh should we ask them the question yeah let's go ahead with the question that we the, was- <laughs> the one that we hinted at earlier and talked about off pod i can like aggressively pivot how i answer this what i'm gonna do oh my god don't take it away so this is your ring of keys moment this is the the um the moment of seeing the embodiment of your artistic identity for the first time and realizing that that art or theater or something along those lines was for you like something that maybe isn't isn't not necessarily a career, but maybe it was what just intrigued you. Or well, so I naturally just went off on this whole tangent about identity. Yeah, and you understand that how this question intersects with that conversation in all these ways. But I'm going to tell a story because I think it's the easiest way to talk about this question. Um, when I was in middle school, I had a very very smart or very intuitive teacher who taught me band. Um, Mr. Brandman, shout out. Shout out. Uh, and Mr. Brandman basically said to us band geeks, if you want to make a career as an artist, as a specifically as an instrumentalist, a really great way to do that is by playing in the pits of musicals. So as part of our curriculum, he showed us classic movie musicals. Um, so we got to see uh, Fiddler on the Roof and My Fair Lady and West Side Story. Uh, over the three years of of junior high and the year so and he, he'd do this encouraging us to go and su- see local theater like go and see the the shows at the fifth avenue or seattle children's theater where we where I grew up like these he he was very much like these are ways to turn this passion into a career which i think is brilliant especially talking to you know people in junior high again at that point i was like maybe i'll be a pit musician but of course i played the oboe and the oboe is like not an instrument <laughs> that's utilized in pits now as nearly as much as uh, essentially people who play oboe tend to play clarinet and saxophone mm-hmm. and flute and then they're like I also have this weird fun skill that's playing yeah, the oboe yeah. like being an oboist is like no I'm gonna be in an orchestra and like that's basically it yeah um but the year that he showed us West Side Story uh there was a, a youth theater shout out Studio East um in my hometown that was doing West Side Story and naturally they were looking for vaguely ethnic youths (laughs) to play sharks. Um, So, and my younger brother was the first to audition. Trent will be the first person to tell you, but he also is the one who didn't book it. So, but it wasn't his fault. He was just too young. It was, it was, it was literally, and again, I talked about like the age stratification. We're all very close in age, but when you're, you know, 12 and 13 and 15, that's like, very different sure. being 12 oh and being God. 13 are like very different and 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 trent was quite literally just just on the like too young side to okay. really do west side story you like can't really put a child in west side story and think it's gonna be okay <laughs> um, <laughs> even though realistically it would be really interesting to do a west side story with only like ages like 12 to 17 yeah. as the sharks and jets because you know that's actually what you're dealing with age-wise yeah, very true oh uh, don't do it uh, <laughs> that's the challenge with tony is that like the people who can like sing Tony the way that Tony is written to be sung and the people who are actually the right age to play Tony are not the same thing. Right. Anyway, so they, they were doing West Side Story and my younger brother went and they were like, do you have, then they found out about the siblings. So the me, I, I went in and then my older brother ended up getting it offered it blind because they just needed more okay. sharks, which is this huge dramatic moment in our family. Cause Drama. Trent of course auditioned and didn't get it. And then I auditioned and got it. And my older brother, Blake, didn't audition and got it. Blake is offer only. <laughs> offer only. <laughs> to tell you what. Anyway, so that was like the beginning of this. Like that's like a whole. Like if you want the story of my family drama, that like is this weird wow. beginning point in it. But so I did West Side Story there, and so that theater, Studio East, did six shows a year, and five of them were musicals. Okay. So over the between my eighth grade year and my senior year of high school, including the shows that I had done at at 
school and other other community theaters, I had done 22 musicals by the time I graduated high school. Oh my gosh. So I came out of high school with like this encyclopedic knowledge of musical theater, which I didn't even recognize was an encyclopedic knowledge sure. of musical theater until I went to college and people were like, I did two musicals. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. <laughs> And what what role stands out the most to you from all of those from those twenty two? Oh God! Uh, well, the, I I sort of bookend my in, again. I I was not great in high school as as performing, at performing. So one of my early roles, I played Peter in Peter Pan when I was like fifteen before my voice had changed. So I was like giving you Mary Martin soprano. Yeah. Yes. yes. Um, and so that was like one of my that was the third show I did at Studio East. Uh, and then my last show that I did at Studio East, I played Ren in Footloose. And so those were my two like big Amazing. roles that I did. And those sort of like between them, I like played the Rapunzel's Prince slash the wolf, which was wild because it requires an insane, you're supposed to cast the wolf and Cinderella's Prince. Mm-hmm. But my older brother was playing Cinderella's Prince. So he was the older prince and I was the younger prince. Mm-hmm. But then I got cast as the wolf. So then I just had to do this mad quick change in order to, this is a nightmare. Um, <laughs> And then I was like, it was like, right, we, I would appear as the prince, but like only from the waist up, like behind a set piece because I was wearing the like wolf pants on the bottom. Yeah. Oh my God. Because he has to like come in and like leave and it's like this, oh God, the makeup is a, is a mess. <laughs> um, but like, so I like, I did that and I like, I was a, a, in like the dance ensemble of a bunch of shows. So I danced a lot because apparently I'm a dancer, not a dancer. Don't, don't. <laughs> you missed some air quotes. I was, a, I was a, just listening. <laughs> I'm yeah. a tapper. I can, I can tap dance quite well. Um, but the, the story, the moral of the story is, is that Heath can do everything. Sure. Okay. You can. The, I listed out all the things in the beginning, but it's just, it's, it's never ending. And that's why I think, you know, you were on Broadway, you'd done off Broadway. You just got back from being out of town. Mm. There's so many things that you, your resume is so long and will continue to be. And I, can't wait to see what you continue to do. Oh God, neither can I. Yeah, That's yeah. It. The best is yet to come, right? Yes. So I didn't. The big things are like I'm supposed to be like follow me on Twitter. Yes. I'm hilarious. Feel Definitely. the heat. Follow me on Instagram because I'm weirdly thoughty for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> and then follow my website with my family so you can see what's up with them, which is the, the Saunders collective.com. So feel the heath, feel the heath, the Saunders collective.com. And we'll include all those links and everything you as well. Better. Yes. I don't appear on podcasts without actual <laughs> plugs of myself <laughs> and my career. Don't know. So I, I, you know, we're, we are sort of running out of time. So Gosh. other than that, I just want to say thank you so much yeah, for course. doing this with us. You are brilliant. And I think that anyone who, lets you into their ears through this experience is going <laughs> to walk away a better person just knowing oh God. you know your incredibly valuable and unique experiences that you've had so far I just hope that people don't come away from it being like you should cancel him no <laughs> I like to say you should live your life like you're already cancelled unless you're cancelled <laughs> at which point you should live your life like you don't exist <laughs> <laughs> alright <laughs> well listen I think you do have such valuable experiences to share and you're amazing oh thank you oh my That's god I cannot I, I can't thank you enough for being here Heath of course All right, so until next time, Connor. All right, drama! drama!